You are now listening to Mark's Unexplained World by Mark the Medium on Hinkley Community Radio, a non-profit podcast radio station. Tonight's episode is about the death of Nancy Spungen. So it's over to you, Mark. Nancy Spungen was a figure of the 1970s punk rock scene and most famous for being the American girlfriend of English punk legend Sid Vicious. She had had a difficult childhood and was known as an emotionally disturbed child who at the age of 15 was diagnosed with schizophrenia. Born and raised in Philadelphia, She was expelled from college and at the height of the punk rock scene back in December of 1976, she flew to London and became involved with Sid Vicious, who at the time was the bass player for the Sex Pistols. Sid and Nancy's relationship was filled with bouts of domestic violence and drug use. Nancy Spungen was well known for her outrageous and frequently antisocial behaviour, so much so that the press started to label her as nauseating Nancy. After the Sex Pistols frontman John Lydon left the band, Sid Vicious was made the focal point of all the group's subsequent activities. Sid and Nancy then moved to America, specifically New York City, and checked into the Hotel Chelsea, where they spent most of their time getting high on heroin. Then, about two years later, in in October, sorry, in October 1978, Nancy Spungen was found dead in the couple's room from a single stab wound to the abdomen. Various authors and filmmakers have speculated about the role that Sid Vicious may have had in Nancy Spungen's death, with the possibility that she may have been killed by a drug dealer who used to visit their hotel room frequently. Greetings, unexplainers. Thank you for tuning in again and listening to this episode of Mark's Unexplained World. My name is Mark Hughes. I'm a psychic medium, a ufologist, a true crime buff, and a guy who has listened to all sorts of music genres over the years, including punk rock. In this episode, I'm going to tell you about the unexplained story surrounding the death of Nancy Spungen. And this week's necessary disclaimer... This story is a tale that sadly involves murders, drug use and self-harm, so may prove upsetting to some. You listen at your own discretion. Also, remember that all opinions and comments are strictly my own, but the facts of the case still remain. I also apologise if I pronounce anything incorrectly. My English, although it is my first and only language, will probably start bursting into songs by the Sex Pistols at any moment. Ah, youth. 
Anyway, let's get back to the story, shall we? <clears throat> Punk rock was, or still is, a music genre that emerged in the mid-1970s. It was originally rooted way back in the 1950s with rock and roll and in the 1960s with garage rock. Punk rock bands rejected the corporate nature of mainstream 1970s rock music. They usually produced what were short but sharp, fast-paced songs with stripped-down instrumentation with a hard-edged sound and singing style. The lyrics in punk rock typically revolved around the anti-establishment and the anti-authoritarian ideas of the time. Punk rock had very much a do-it-yourself ethic, with many of the bands self-producing their songs and distributing them through independent record labels. The term of punk rock had been previously used by the American rock critics in the early 1970s, mainly to describe the 1960s garage bands like the Sonics, the Trogs, the Kinks or the Trashmen, to name but a few. Between the years of 1974 and 1976, punk rock was developing with prominent acts in New York, including television, Patti Smith and the Ramones, along with London in the UK, producing bands like The Sex Pistols, The Clash and The Damned. In the UK, by late 1976, Punk rock had literally exploded, with it becoming a major cultural phenomena. It gave the youth of that generation a sounding platform from which they could make themselves heard, what with unemployment at very high volumes and what looked like, for them anyway, a very bleak future. Punk rock gave the youth of that generation an opportunity to express themselves, but not just through the music, but also through the distinctive style of clothing they adopted, which included T-shirts with deliberately offensive graphics, studded or spiked leather jackets, neck and studded wristbands, jewellery, safety pins that weren't just pierced through the clothing, if you know what I mean, and bondage with S&M apparel. Probably one of the most popular bands of the punk rock era were the Sex Pistols, who were an English punk rock band formed in London of 1975. The Sex Pistols' original lineup consisted of vocalist Johnny Rotten, guitarist Steve Jones, drummer Paul Cook and bassist Glenn Matlock, with Glenn Matlock eventually being replaced by Sid Vicious in early 1977. Under the management of English fashion designer and music manager Malcolm McLaren, 
The band gained widespread attention from the British press after swearing live on air during a Bill Grundy television interview on the 1st of December 1976. Now, I know that might sound a bit trivial by today's standards of language on TV, but remember, people, this was back in the mid-1970s, and believe me, it was a huge case back then. The Sex Pistols' single, God Save the Queen, back in May 1977, described the monarchy as a fascist regime. So someone, I don't know who, decided that it would be a good idea for it to be released to coincide with the national celebrations of the Queen's Silver Jubilee. This release meant that the song was subsequently banned from being played by the BBC and by nearly every independent radio station in Britain, making it the most censored record sorry, censored record in British history. After the vocalist, John Lydon, otherwise most commonly known as Johnny Rotten, left the band, he was replaced by the bassist Simon John Ritchie, or better known by his stage name as Sid Vicious. Sid Vicious played his first gig as a bass player with the Sex Pistols, on the 3rd of April 1977 at The Screen on the Green, which was a single-screen cinema in London. Unfortunately, Sid Vicious could not play very well and had no bass experience, so guitarist Steve Jones played the bass on the band's debut album Never Mind the Bollocks, Here's the Sex Pistols. Sid Vicious was allowed to play bass on one of the tracks on the album called Bodies, but his contribution was later overdubbed yet again by guitarist Steve Jones. Sid Vicious also missed most of the Sex Pistols rehearsals and recording sessions, mainly because he was in hospital with hepatitis which was likely caused by his intravenous drug use. By this time, Sid Vicious was now using heroin, with many reports claiming that his mother was his main supplier. Now, how concerning and sad is that? By 1977, Sid Vicious had met Nancy Spungen, an American groupie living in London who had a history of psychological problems and, like Sid Vicious, was also a heroin addict. After this first short break, in part two, we will look at Nancy Spungen's troubled upbringing and the continuing relationship between Sid and Nancy that led to Spurgeon's subsequent death. This show is brought to you courtesy of Neil Packer and the Haunted Antiques Paranormal Research Centre. Find them online at www.hauntedresearchcentre.com 
or at 9211 Regent Street, Hinckley, LE 10-1AW. Open on Saturdays from 10am to 4pm for guided tours of the haunted rooms at just £3 per person. Booking is essential at all times and over 16s only please unless accompanied by an adult. The haunted rooms are extremely haunted and paranormal activity could and has taken place at any time. Some areas and particular objects or items can be quite scary and unnerving. Membership is available for £25 to qualify for selective offers. And why not download the app available on both iOS and Android for only three ninety nine to keep up to date with what is coming up at the centre. Nancy Laura Spungen was born on the 27th of February 1958 in Philadelphia to the parents Frank and Deborah Spungen. By all accounts, the Spungens were a middle-class Jewish family that lived in the Lower Moreland Township, which is a suburb of Philadelphia. Nancy Spurgeon's father, Frank, was a travelling salesman and her mother, Deborah, owned an organic food store in nearby Jenkintown called The Earth Shop. When she was born, Nancy Spungen nearly died from oxygen deprivation. This was, this was mainly due to her nearly choking on the umbilical cord during delivery, although it was determined that she had not suffered any serious brain-damaging oxygen loss. However, doctors had noted that Nancy Spurgeon's skin was jaundiced and that, was, and that she was showing symptoms of severe cyanosis. And on our first interesting side note for this show, cyanosis is when there is a change to the normal body tissue colour which turns to a bluish purple hue. This skin colour change is due to the decrease in the amount of oxygen that is bound to the haemoglobin in the red blood cells of the capillary bed. Cyanosis is mainly apparent in the body tissues covered with thin skin, including the mucous membranes, lips, nail beds and earlobes. Management of cyanosis involves treating the main course. A cyanosis isn't a disease, it is a symptom. Having this cyanosis meant that the newborn Nancy Spungen had to undergo immediate life-saving blood transfusions, which also meant that her parents were not able to see or hold Nancy at this point, preventing the key bonding time between mother and baby post-delivery. 
Instead, Nancy Spungen was strapped to a small hospital bed and frantically worked on by doctors who ultimately saved her life. It is theorised that due to this lack of parental attention upon her birth, Nancy Spungen proved to be a difficult baby, throwing crying fits and temper tantrums late into her childhood. But in this case, things got so bad that at three months old, Nancy was prescribed a liquid barbiturate by a paediatrician to try to help the situation. However, even with the use of this barbiturate, Nancy's violent behaviour continued. Barbiturates are a class of depressant drug that are chemically derived from barbituric acid. They are effective when used medically as anxiolytics, hypnotics and anticonvulsants, but have both physical and psychological addiction and overdose potentials, as well as other possible adverse side effects. They have been used recreationally for their anti-anxiety and, sed and sedative effects, and are thus controlled in most countries due to the risks associated with such use. The drug is usually given to people who experience seizures. In an interview, her mother, uh, Deborah Spongen, stated, and I quote, I know it's normal for babies to cry, but Nancy did nothing but scream. As a child, Nancy Spungen exhibited violent behaviour towards her younger sister, Susan Spungen. However, she was very caring towards her younger brother, David. But things didn't simply stop there. She also allegedly threatened to kill the babysitter with a pair of scissors attempted to batter her psychiatrist who accused her of acting out for attention and at the tender age of 11 she was expelled from public school when she went absent from the class for more than two weeks. Nancy Spungen's exasperated parents then decided to enrol her at the Devereux Glenholm School in Connecticut and at the Devereux Manor High School in Pennsylvania. From what I can tell, these schools at Devereux are children and adolescent state licensed private schools that have been approved for serving children that have autism spectrum disorders and other intellectual developmental disabilities or emotional and behavioural problems or disorders. Nancy Spungen had very few friends during her elementary school years, although she ex she ex sorry she excelled academically. However, in the January of 1972, at just 14, Nancy Spungen ran away from the Devereux Manor High School in Pennsylvania and attempted suicide by slitting her own wrists with scissors. So, as a result. By the time she was aged 15, her psychiatrist had formally diagnosed her with schizophrenia.
Nancy Spungen returned and graduated from the Lakeside High School in 1974, two weeks after her application to attend the University of Colorado Boulder, otherwise known as CU Boulder, was accepted. At the age of 16, she began attending the CU Boulder University, but within five months of her freshman year, she was arrested for purchasing marijuana from an undercover police officer. And then she was later arrested again, this time for storing stolen property in her dormitory room. She was persistent, I'll give her that. After these brushes with the law, C.U. Boulder decided to expel her. No surprise there. Nancy Spungen's father, Frank Spungen, then travelled to the C.U. Boulder University and accepted a plea bargain for his daughter, which resulted in her being banished from the state of Colorado altogether. Nancy Spungen returned home to her parents, but left home at the tender age of 17, when she then moved to New York City, where she supported herself for a time as a sex worker, an amateur music journalist, and the occasional job at a clothing store. In her spare time, she became a groupie and followed rock bands such as Aerosmith, Bad Company, the New York Dolls, and the Ramones. In December 1976, Nancy Spungen flew off to London and met the Sex Pistols, who included the bassist, Sid Vicious. Nancy Spungen had initially set her sights on Johnny Rotten and supported herself by alternately drug dealing drugs, working with her as a topless dancer and made herself useful on the King's Road scene by procuring drugs for musicians. Then, in the following March of 1977, Nancy Spungen and Sid Vicious moved in together. Nancy Spungen and Sid Vicious's relationship was definitely a roller coaster ride in anybody's relationship guide, to say the least. Sid Vicious would often play nursemaid when, when Nancy was sick, and on the other side of the coin, Nancy was known to be verbally abusive and physically aggressive. It has also been reported that Sid Vicious may have facilitated in Nancy Spungen's occasional prostitution and watched it. According to Johnny Rotten's wife, Nora Foster, Sid Vicious often hit Nancy Spungen. This confirmed that beatings, which she had previously said were at the hands of strangers, were actually given by the hands of Sid Vicious. And also on an interesting tidbit, they both shared an infatuation with knives. Nancy and Sid became inseparable, which as a consequence caused a lot of problems within the band. 
It soon became quite obvious that the fellow six, sorry, Sex Pistols did not like Nancy Spurgeon one bit, with their manager, Malcolm McLaren, admitting to planning to have her abducted and forced onto a plane back to the United States. During their 19 months together, that's from March 1977 to the October of 1978, Sid Vicious, who was already abusing a multitude of drugs before meeting Nancy Spurgeon, then himself became addicted to heroin. The tabloid newspapers at the time then nicknamed Nancy Spurgeon as Nauseating Nancy, mainly due to her frequent public outbursts. After the Sex Pistols broke up in the January of 1978, Nancy Spungen and Sid Vicious eventually moved to the Hotel Chelsea in New York. There they registered themselves as Mr and Mrs John Simon Ritchie, which, by the way, was Sid Vicious's real name, and they stayed in room 100. After this second short break, in part three, we will look at the death of Nancy Spungen and some of the theories behind it. Fright Nights was established in 1999 as the first company in the world to offer overnight ghost hunt experiences to the general public pioneering paranormal events since the last century. Fright Nights operate at hundreds of the UK's most haunted and exclusive venues. All events have their own team of experienced paranormal investigators, mediums and psychics. They have a VIP members club for regular returning guests, offering loyalty discounts and exclusive invitation-only events. They can also host private events for your family and friends. You can contact them on 07 852 998 628 or email them at office at frightnights.co.uk or take a look at their website at www.frightnights.co.uk where you can see the many locations they investigate and learn about them and the opportunities they have available. Hundreds of ghost hunters join Fright Nights every month for the most thrilling ghost hunting experiences they'll never forget. If you haven't been on a ghost hunt before, then why not join them to see what it's all about? Why not visit their social media sites for up-to-date information on all the places they visit and to see what's coming up in the future? They look forward to seeing you all soon. Fright Nights, Ghost Hunting Events. Remember, only the original will do. On the night of the 11th of October 1978, Nancy Spungen and Sid Vicious hosted a party in their hotel room 
at the Hotel Chelsea in New York, during which Sid Vicious took approximately 30 of the barbiturate tablets called Tylenol. It was the sort of party where numerous people would come and go as they pleased. However, for Sid, it was a party where he spent most of the night in a comatose state. At around 11am the next day, on the 12th of October, hotel staff found Nancy Spungen dead on the bathroom floor of room 100 in the Hotel Chelsea in New York. Nancy Spungen had been found with a knife wound to her abdomen. The staff at the Hotel Chelsea then later found Sid Vicious, who had been wandering around one of the corridors. Sid Vicious was then promptly arrested and charged with the second-degree murder of Nancy Spungen. On a quick interesting side note here, I thought I would very briefly take you through the different degrees of murder in law. There are in fact three legal classifications of murder based on the intent or severity of the crime. However, I must point out that different states and countries have different definitions and punishments for murder degrees, but these are probably the most common ones. First degree murder is the deliberate and premeditated killing of another person, usually punished by life imprisonment or the death penalty. Second degree murder is the unintentional killing of another person, but with malice aforethought or intent to inflict grievous bodily harm, usually punished by a long-term prison sentence. And last of all, third degree murder which is the unintentional killing of another person without any premeditation, malice of forethought, killing in the heat of passion or while committing a misdemeanour, usually punished by a shorter term imprisonment. When Sid Vicious was arrested, he told the police that he and Nancy had in fact argued that night. However, it soon became apparent that Sid had given conflicting versions of what actually happened, saying, and I quote, I stabbed her, but I, I, I never meant to kill her. He then said that he did not remember anything, followed by another statement saying that Nancy Spungen had fallen onto the knife. The arresting officer, Sergeant Thomas Kilroy of the 3rd Homicide Unit, said, and I quote, Vicious submitted killing Miss Spungen during a dispute. There were two people who had been at the party that night who stated that Nancy Spungen was still alive at 5am. The murder weapon was soon identified as a Jaguar K-11 hunting knife, which Nancy Spungen had purchased for Sid Vicious just a few days earlier. English fashion designer and Sex Pistols manager Malcolm McLaren firmly believed that Sid Vicious was innocent. Malcolm McLaren noted that the knife was left in plain view 
and that Sid and Nancy kept all their cash in a drawer. He also believed that Nancy Spongeon caught one of the party guests from that night, stealing their money, and as a consequence, she was stabbed by that person. Given the number of people who had been through room 100 of the hotel on the night of the murder, American criminal defence attorney F. Lee Bailey had his investigators look into the possibility that a third party was involved in Nancy Spungen's death. F. Lee Bailey also hired forensic psychiatrist Dr. Stephen Take to evaluate Sid Vicious. After the initial conversation between the two, Sid Vicious seemed more preoccupied and remained fixated on the television. Dr. Stephen Tick told Sid's mother, Anne Beverly, that her son must not be left alone. Anne Beverly then called Dr. Stephen Tick much later on and said that her son had slashed his arms with the remains of a smashed light bulb. Dr. Stephen Tate then returned to the Hotel Chelsea and immediately he called for an ambulance. When the emergency medical service staff arrived with the police, Sid Vicious saw them and headed straight for the window, only to be blocked by Dr. Stephen Tate. Sid Vicious was then taken to Bell- Bellevue Hospital and subsequently moved to the New York Prebusterian Westchester Behavioural Health Centre in White Plains. And on another interesting side note here, the Westchester Behavioural Health Centre first opened its doors in White Plains, New York in 1894. According to its website, since its inception, the Westchester campus has been at the forefront of the movement known as Moral Treatment which means providing patient-focused care in elegant facilities specifically designed to offer the tranquility and activities required for mental health healing. Again, according to its website, for over 125 years, their historic campus in Westchester County has been a destination behavioural healthcare centre with specialised programmes created to meet the needs of adults, adolescents and children from all backgrounds. Sid Vicious was eventually released from the Westchester Behavioural Health Centre on the 26th of November 1978 and he returned to the Chelsea Hotel. At this time, his old friend Johnny Rotten had tried to contact Sid Vicious, but his calls were barred by Sid's mother, Anne Beverly, and the Sex Pistols' former manager, Malcolm McLaren. Irish journalist Bernard Clark just two days after Sid Vicious's return, managed to conduct an interview with Sid Vicious on the 28th of November at the Chelsea Hotel in Room 100. And according to Bernard Clark, Sid Vicious said that Nancy Spongeon's death was, and I quote, 
meant to happen. Bernard also claimed that Sid had said, and I quote, Nancy always said she'd die before she was 21. He also said, he, sorry, he also said that he just wanted to have fun. But when the Irish journalist Bernard Clark asked Sid where he would like to be, Sid replied, and I quote, under the ground. After much lawyer shopping by Sid's mother, Anne Beverly, and the Sex Pistols manager, Malcolm McLaren, they settled on the aforementioned F. Lee Bailey. F. Lee Bailey's firm arranged for Sid Vicious to be released on a $50,000 bail, with the conditions that he must not leave New York, and that he must sign in every day at the 3rd Homicide Unit offices at the Methadone Centre. Sid Vicious returned to the Chelsea Hotel, where he was joined by Malcolm McLaren and his mother, Anne Beverly. In the meantime, Malcolm McLaren announced that the Sex Pistols would reunite to record a Christmas album to benefit Sid Vicious's defence. And not only that, but they also sold T-shirts with the slogan, She's dead, I'm alive, I'm yours. All the legal costs were paid by the Sex Pistols record label, Virgin Records. Just four months after Nancy Spongeon's death, Sid Vicious himself died from a heroin overdose. So before the trial could even take place, the New York City Police Department closed the case. Despite Sid Vicious dying in 1979 at the tender age of just 21, he remains an icon of the punk subculture, with one of his friends noted that he embodied, and I quote, everything in punk that was dark, decadent and holistic. There are, of course, many various theories about the true cause of Nancy Spungen's death, with some of them not even implicating Sid Vicious in her murder at all. One theory is that the couple of drug dealers visited their room that night and conducted a robbery. This theory was brought about because there were certain items, including a substantial amount of money, that had gone missing from their room. In Phil Strongman's book, Pretty Vacant, A History of Punk, he accuses the actor and stand-up comic Rocket's Red Glare of killing Nancy Spurgeon. This assertion comes from the fact that Rocket's Red Glare delivered drugs to Sid and Nancy's room the night of Spurgeon's death. Rocket Redglare, who himself died in 2001, totally denied any involvement in the murder of Nancy Spungen to the press. However, it was reported that he often confessed to the murder within his own circle of friends, but most of them cast doubt on his claims, saying that he was inclined to brag. Rocket's Redglare 
told the media that he believed that a drug dealer who he saw in the lobby of the Hotel Chelsea that morning of Nancy Spurgeon's murder had committed the crime. In 1986, the film Sid and Nancy, directed by Alan, sorry, directed by Alex Cox, was released. Both roles were played quite superbly by Gary Oldman and Chloe Webb. It mainly tended to the con- to, 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 sorry, it mainly concentrated on the relationship that they had with each other, the ups, the downs, the most definite highs, and the lows with critics praising Chloe Webb's outstanding performance as Nancy. One of the things that Alex Cox included in the film was the theory that Nancy Spungen and Sid Vicious had a suicide pact, which does put a bit of a twist to the end of the film. If you haven't seen the film yet, I'll try not to spoil it for you, but Alex Cox told the New Musical Express, or NME, that, and I quote... We wanted to make the film not just about Sid Vicious and punk rock, but as an anti-drug statement to show that the degradation caused to various people is not at all glamorous. Nancy Spungen was buried in the King David Memorial Park, which is a traditional Jewish cemetery in Ben Salem Township, Pennsylvania. Thank you all for taking the time out to listen to this episode of Mark's Unexplained World. In our next episode, show number 84, we are going to be looking at the Fae. The Fae are a type of mythical being or legendary creature which is generally described as anthropomorphic found in the folklore of multiple European cultures. They are a form of spirit, often with metaphysical or supernatural qualities. The label of a fairy has at times applied only to specific magical creatures with human appearance, magical powers and a penchant for trickery. At other times, it has been used to describe any magical creature, such as goblins and gnomes. Fairy has at times been used as an objective with a meaning equivalent to enchanted or magical. And it is also used as a name for the place where these beings come from, i.e. the land of fairy. This show was written and researched by myself, Mark Hughes, and proofread and edited by Linda Hughes. The pronunciations of all names and places, though, was all mine. The actors in this episode were Mark Hughes, Linda Hughes and Denise Pula. With special thanks to Neil Packer and the staff at the Haunted Antiques Paranormal Research Centre in Hinckley. And, of course, a big thank you to everyone for listening. Mark's Unexplained World because there's more to the paranormal than meets the third eye. And remember, guys, keep it real, because being real is better than being perfect. 
This show and all its contents are covered by basic copyright of Mark the Media.